This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Austin Life Church. Uh, we're so glad that you have come to, to worship with us and to, to explore who God is and to grow in your knowledge and your, your love for Him. Uh, if you are a part of Austin Life Church already, um, hey, how are you? Hope that I really hope you're doing well. Uh, if you are just checking things out, you're invited or uh, you're just scrolling through Facebook and somehow this popped up and you're like, all right, here we are. Um, or you just stop scrolling to go cook some breakfast and it got left on. Um, hey, glad you're here. So, uh, man, I miss seeing everybody in the face, in the face, in the, in the flesh. I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. Um, I miss, I miss being in, in, I can't even talk. Uh, this whole thing is throwing me up. I wish we were all together in the same place, worshiping together. Uh, maybe, maybe that'll get it out there. Um, I mean, I hope for you, uh, as it is for me, that this is creating a, a longing to be gathered together again, uh, to worship in, in person. Um, man, I, I miss that. There, there is, God knew what he was doing. We're created for that. Like, that's how he wired us. And so I just miss that um, and look forward to when we get to do that again together soon. Um, I, I think we're probably still... Uh, I mean, just honestly, my, my guess is right now, if it's sooner, awesome. But I, I think it's probably sometime uh, into May, if not June. Uh, so we'll continue to worship this way. Uh, but I, I am hopeful that, that God will use this to create a longing in us, that we will see uh, by having to be isolated, we'll see the value of community even more so. Um, so I, I hope that that is growing in you. Um, I, I do want to point out next Sunday is Easter. Uh, it will be an interesting Easter Sunday. Uh, the good news uh, about Easter, though, is Jesus is still alive. Um, so the fact that we're having to stay in our homes and worship online doesn't change the fact that Jesus is alive. Uh, and that is really what changed the book of Acts, uh, is that Jesus is alive. It's the, uh, it's the argument that trumps everything, is that uh, man, if Jesus is still dead, then we got, we got nothing to go with. But, but he is alive. And, and the, the people in Acts, like they saw the risen Jesus and it changed everything for them. Um, and so we celebrate that, that, that Jesus is alive. Our faith is, is anchored. The life that we have today and for eternity is, is made possible and is tethered to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Our sins can truly be forgiven because Jesus overcame death and sin, buried it, and is alive to give us new life. And so that is why we celebrate Easter. And that is the, the heart behind it. Um, man, I want to encourage you and challenge you to invite someone to join you and worship with you on Easter. I know that it is not the same, um, but I still think that people will, will tune in uh, because it is Easter. Uh, and so just invite someone to, to worship with you and to join you. Next Sunday for Easter. Um, anyways, let's, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15, that's where we're going to be. Um, but let's pray, ask God to speak to us by His Spirit, um, through His Word. His voice is the only voice that we need to hear. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for um, being bigger than everything. God, that um, 
God, that social distancing and, and quarantining and um, pandemics, they, they aren't bigger than you. Nothing is greater than you, God. Um, and so you are still able to unify us and to speak to us and to draw us close to you. God, that is what we need is your presence. We, we need more of you. Um, we lack nothing in your presence, nothing. And so um, everything in our lives that, that we look at and we feel like is lacking um, can be met and satisfied in your presence. Uh, and so we plead for more of you. We ask for more uh, for you to reveal yourself and to speak to us and to, to draw us to yourself. Uh, God, speak to us today from your word. Help us to know you and your will and give us the humility and the courage to uh, submit our lives to your word fully. It's in Christ we pray. Um, amen. All right. Imagine, um, I want you to, to run to a hypothetical situation with me. Imagine that um, I, I'm going to pair you up with a, a mentor couple. Um, so a husband and wife, a married couple is going to, to mentor you. Whether you are married and you're just going to learn from um, a married couple or you're engaged and you're going to learn from them or you're single and you're still just going to learn from this married couple, um, you know, in, in the life that they share. I want I want to... I want a show of hands here, um, and I don't really know. I can't verify anything, so I'm just going to trust that everybody's participating because that's what we do. We participate in worship. You've got two options, right? You've got over here on your right hand, so go ahead and hold out your right hand. You've got couple number one, and they are thriving in their marriage. Uh, they love each other well. You can tell. Um, they, they've got... They, 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 you can see the way they look each other, the way they hold each other's hand, um, the way they speak to each other, that they lift each other up, that, that they're going back and forth of, of showing honor and preference um, as the Bible actually commands us to. They're, they're trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, and there's just this sincere, real love in them. Um, they're unified as one, as, as a married couple should be. They're, they're tethered together in unity and in harmony. And then your left hand, go ahead, and go ahead and get your left hand out, right? You've got another married couple um, that, that is completely the opposite. They're, they're arguing all the time. They're, they're fighting. They're, there's no unity. They're just divided among each other, putting each other down, putting the, the burden of unrealistic expectations. Each one is out for their own good. Um, they're, they're not really, there's no love. It, it's just, it's, it's, ew, like it's, ew, you know? So, Right hand is that couple that, I mean, you just dream of. Left hand is the one that, you know, which if you get to pick the couple that's going to be your mentor, that's going to, you know, help you know God more and help you grow in your own personal life, which, which couple are you picking? Which one? You're the right? I, I, I am confident every one of you watching right now is, is, is holding up or, or looking at or thinking you're right, the right hand, right? The couple that is unified and loving and encouraging and lifting one another up. I, I would bet if you get to pick between those two, every single one of you is picking that couple. Now, this is not a sermon on marriage. Um, this is not a passage on marriage. Rather, it's a, it's a sermon. It's a passage on unity, on on a relational connection that is supposed to be united and, and, and loving and selfless and building one another up. That is, and, and the effects that that unity has, the effects of whether we're, we're relationship right hand or relationship left hand and the effects that it has 
on the glory of God, the, the good of those in the relationship, and on the people outside of the relationship. So this is a message on unity and and selflessness and humility and love and what it does, the effects it has on the glory of God, the the good of those in the relationship or in in the community, and then even those outside. So let's, let's get to Acts chapter 15. What we'll see here is that this church, the, the early church, almost didn't make it. It almost split up. They almost broke up and, and, and became this, this relationship, this body that was divided and, and hostile and, and just went their separate ways. They, this, the church almost became the left-handed relationship that we talked about until unity under the gospel of Jesus Christ won out. So let's look at Acts chapter 15, because it has huge implications on us today as the church and how we follow God's will for us. So starting in verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. They were saying this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with him, like they got into it, no small dissension and debate with him, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Like, so Paul and Barnabas and some others like, hey, do pack your bags. You're going to Jerusalem to settle this debate because it's getting hot. It's getting intense. So verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Let's stop here for a second. What's going on? Okay, so the church is flourishing. The church is just blowing up. It starts in Jerusalem, and then it moves to Judea, and then it goes to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is where the the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, and the church now includes both Jew and Gentile. The the church is now made up of a diverse body, Jew and Gentile. Gentile simply means anyone who's not a Jew. So it's it's the Jewish people and everyone else now from Acts 10, because God shows no partiality, are welcomed into the family of God as they are under faith in Jesus alone. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are teaching in Antioch. It's like, hey, we're all welcome to have a seat at the table with Jesus by faith in him alone. Anyone and everyone is invited and welcome. But then some teachers, some some men come down from Judea and start teaching, hey, no, 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 you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses in order to be saved. It it is mandated for you to be a part of God's family and a part of the church. You have to be circumcised and follow the custom of Moses. Now, look, if you grew up in the church, if if you, you know, like me, can't remember a time where you weren't a part of a church, then you've probably heard the Bible talk about circumcision before you even knew what circumcision was. 
And, and so when you read this, you're just like, oh yeah, of course, you know, you got to be circumcised accordingly. Like, like you're not thinking much about it, right? But let's be honest. If you're relatively new to the church or you've got friends who are new to the church or who are like, I don't know, you know, maybe going to check the church out. When the Bible starts talking about circumcision, come on, that gets a little weird. Like why in the world are we reading God's book about circumcision? Like, come on, that's what is going on here? So let me, let me give some context so that we're not just thrown off by what the Bible's telling us and we know what, what's happening. The Bible has always taught from the very beginning that a relationship with God is forged by faith. Not by what we do, but by faith in God, by trusting Him and His Word and His promises. But, but faith in God is more than just a, a simple belief in God, a belief that God is real. James says the demons believe in God, but, but they are far from a relationship with God because there's a difference between a, a belief that God is real and a faith in God. So a faith, a faith that, that brings us into a relationship with God, or, or said another way, a faith that saves us from our sins and, remove, and moves us into a relationship with God, that faith is a faith that not only believes God is real and is who He says He is, but submits and surrenders one's life to him and his ways. So if, if God is over here and, and is going that way, the faith that the Bible talks about, that we're talking about here, is a faith that believes God is there, that believes God is going that way, and that so trusts God and who he is that I'm going to follow him as well. I so believe him and his promises that I'm going his way, not my way. That's what a saving faith is. We're going one way or the other. We're either following God or we're going our own way. And a saving faith, a faith in God, not only believes in Him, but follows Him, obeys Him because we believe in Him. But it's not, it's not our obedience that saves us. It's our faith that saves us. And, and our obedience follows. But these guys are coming in and saying, no, no, it's not just faith. It's faith and faith obedience that saves you. It, that, that, that God is requiring you to trust Jesus and to do certain things in order to be saved. Now, they're not just making stuff up. They're not just like, oh, hey, I don't know, believe in Jesus and, you know, be a vegetarian. Believe in Jesus and um, only wear 100% cotton. Believe in Jesus and you know, you got to wake up at 5 a.m. and read your Bible for an hour and a half and believe in Jesus. And you've got to, so they're not just making stuff up and adding to it. They're, they're quoting the Old Testament. Like they're, they're quoting what they've been taught from God for centuries. And, and what God said in the Old Testament was, hey, faith in me means you will obey me by obeying the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, the law that I give to Moses. So we all know the Ten Commandments, right? God gives the Ten Commandments. But in addition to those ten, God gave another 603 laws that faith in God, true faith, would move you to obey those 613 laws. Circumcision is one of those laws that, that faith would move you to be circumcised as an outward public display that you are following the ways of God. So they're not just making something up, 
but they're saying in order to be saved, you've got to believe in Jesus and become a Jew and follow the Jewish law and follow what, what God gave Moses. That's the only way to truly be saved and truly be a part of the church. The problem is when Jesus came, he changed all that. Jesus came and he fulfilled all 613 laws perfectly. He actually lived up to it. And then he gives us that credit. His perfect obedience by, by us trusting in him is transferred to us so that we're not expected to, to fulfill all 613 laws because Jesus did it for us. Now, some laws Jesus still commands us to obey. Other laws he completely does away with and some he, he changes, right? So faith now is trusting Jesus and following him fully in whatever he says. And if Jesus says, obey this law, then we obey that law. And if Jesus says, yeah, you don't have to obey this one anymore because I did that, then, then that one we, we can celebrate that we don't have to obey that specific law because Jesus did it. Circumcision was changed to baptism. So now Jesus says the public way that we demonstrate we're following Jesus is baptism. And so now we're, we're baptized as a way to show that we have trusted Christ, not as a way to earn our trust or to add to what Jesus has done. But that's not what these guys are teaching. These guys are teaching you've got to trust Jesus and you have to do this. They're, they're putting a weight and a burden on the people that says faith alone isn't enough. You've got to work. You've got to earn. You've got to add to it. In order to be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew. You've got to trust Jesus and become a Jew. Can you, can you imagine how defeating that would feel? If, if you thought, all I've got to do is trust Jesus, and then someone comes in and goes, no, that's not enough, man. You've got to do more. You've got to, you've got to do more than just that in order to measure up and to be accepted. Can you imagine the weight of that? Of, hey, do more, do better, do, and do it faster. Like, I, I've personally, I've been, I've been on quite the journey lately, and I'm starting to learn that there's this insecurity in me, um, whether it's my personality or how I grew up, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, that, that says, I've got to measure up in order to be approved. I've got to do more, I've got to do better, and I've got to do it faster. And, and if I do that well, then I will be approved of by, by God, by my wife, by my friends, by the church. It's this, this thinking that it's on my shoulders and I, I've got to measure up and it's exhausting. Like it, it, is a, it is something I am uh, with, with counseling and with help trying to unload from my, my brain because it doesn't allow for freedom. It, it's oppressive. And that's what these guys are saying is... Hey, you've got to trust Jesus and do more. And it's oppressive. It minimizes the work of what Christ has done. And, and what it's doing now is dividing the church. It's splitting the church down the middle. Lines are being drawn. On one side, you've got the people that say, hey, it is Jesus alone. He does everything. Your faith in him saves you and you obey simply because you're saved, not so that you can be saved. And then you've got this other side that says, hey, it's faith in Jesus, plus you've got to do the work of becoming a Jew. And that's how you're saved. And, and lines are being drawn, and dissension is happening, and debate is forming, and, and the church is about to, they're about to break up. 
It, mom and dad are about to go their separate ways and, and bring division in the family of God because of this conversation, because of this debate. Now, here's my question. Why is this debate such a big deal? Luke writes an entire chapter on it. We see Paul talk about it in Galatians. We see it have effects later on, right, in, in, in Acts. Why is this chapter such a big deal? deal. I'm going to give you three reasons and we're going to move through them pretty quickly. So, so stay with me and stay focused, right? Three reasons why this is such a big deal. One, division within the church is an insulting, destructive, and repulsive portrayal of who God is. Division within his church is insulting to who God is. It is destructive to the people in the church and it is repulsive to those outside the church watching. Second reason why this is a big deal is that this debate is distorting the very truth of the gospel, the truth that the church is built on. And if people believe what these men are teaching, they will not find Christ and will spend eternity in hell. The third reason why this is such a big deal is that it is adding unnecessary obstacles to people coming to Christ putting additional obstacles in the way and making it more difficult for people to come to Christ. So I just want to talk for a couple minutes through each one of these points of why this debate is so important. Number one, this division, this divisiveness that is forming is an ugly insult to the character of God. It's destructive to the church and it's repulsive to those on the outside. So in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says in verse 20, He's praying, he says, Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for you and me. He's praying for anyone who trusts Christ through the preaching of his followers, his disciples. And then he says in verse 21, he says, I'm praying that they may all be one. That, That all the people who trust Christ will be united as one. Listen to this. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that every person who follows him and becomes a Christian will be united together as one. All the individual pieces brought together in one unit, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Get this. Our unity together as Christians, our unity together is meant to be a picture of the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And the three are so unified, so in cohesion, so synced together that they are one. And Jesus says, that is how your unity should be reflective among Christians, that you should be so unified, so in sync, so close together that you are unified as one, just as the Father, Son, Spirit is unified as one. So we are meant to be a picture of God himself as the church. Paul, early in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's talking to the church and he's like, some of you are like, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul and I follow Cephas. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Like, is he, is he really divided? No, he's, he's one. 
And so our unity is meant to be a reflection of the unity of God himself. And so the, the unity we have, if we're disunified, if we're di divisive, if we're fighting amongst each other, if we're pushing each other down, if we're tearing each other down, we are painting a picture that that's who God is. He's a God divided, that he's selfish, that he's egotistical, that he pushes one another down. That's the picture we are imaging when we are divided among one another. So any Christian relationship that you are a part of, we are meant to be reconciled and united as best as we possibly can because we are a picture of God. We're telling the picture of God. and We don't want to insult his character and his picture by being an insulting picture of divisiveness. And so this is hugely important because it represents God himself. But it's also important because division within tears one another down. It doesn't build one another up. Ephesians 4, if you want to look at that, says that when we all come together as one body, when we all work together, then we are built up in love. But if we're divided, it's impossible to build one another up. It's impossible for us to grow in maturity when we're fighting against each other and pushing each other down. And so Paul's like, this, this, Luke's like, this divisiveness can't happen. It can't be there because it's just going to tear the church apart. The devil wants that. He wants us fighting against each other because then we're preoccupied with who's right and who's getting their way and not preoccupied with the glory and mission of God. And so this divisiveness cannot be in the Christian church. It's horrifically ugly and it is tearing one another apart. It's destroying how God made us to be. And this divisiveness can't be there because it is repulsive to the outside world. Remember at the beginning when I said, which, which marriage do you, want to, do you want to learn from? Do you want to be near? Do you want to be near the marriage of the, the couple that's unified and loves each other and builds each other up and speaks kindly of each other and, and is preferring one another? Or do you want to be around the marriage that is fighting and divided and pushing each other down? And man, it's a no-brainer. One picture is beautiful. The other one is horrifically ugly. One is going to encourage us. The other one's going to tear us down. And we think that the, the world outside looking at the church is going to be encouraged and built up by our petty fighting, by our selfish, narcissistic divisiveness. We are insulting the picture of God. We are tearing one another down, and we are repulsive to the outside world. That's why this chapter matters. Because unity in the church is essential to the glory of God, to the building up of his people, and to displaying to the watching world the love of God himself. It's essential. That's why this is a big deal. That's why for you and me, the unity within our church, Austin Life Church, or whatever church that you are a member of and a part of, is essential. Man, if there's someone today, right now, that you are you're divided among, that you are irreconciled with, I urge you and plead with you for the glory of God, for your good, and for the good of those around you to pursue reconciliation as best you can. Bring your part, lay it down, confess it, repent, and pursue reconciliation for the glory of God, for your good, and for the good of those around you. So that's why this is so important. But now remember, these people are preaching a false gospel. They're saying that there's more to it than just faith in Jesus. Well, what's the answer? 
Peter gives us the answer in the next couple of verses. He says in verse 6, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, he's talking about Acts chapter 10 when he went to Cornelius and his family. You know, in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, just let that sink in for a second. God, who knows the heart, God, who knows my heart and my intentions and my motives and God, who knows, I mean, he knows your heart and your intention and your motive. God, who knew their heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? Why, why are you questioning his decision by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter says, we haven't been able to live up to the law. We haven't been able to, to live out the 613 laws perfectly. Why are you trying to put that on them? God didn't hold that expectation to them. Why are you trying to test God? Why are you trying to put that on them? But verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the question is, how are we saved? Is it Jesus plus something else? And Peter says, absolutely not. God made it incredibly clear to these Gentiles that it was faith alone. Once they heard the gospel and believed, God sends the Holy Spirit, forgives their sins, and they are brought into the family of God just like everyone else. They didn't have to go be circumcised or become a Jew or do anything else. They simply believed in the depths of their heart that Jesus was who he says he is, and they gave their lives to him and to following his ways, and God saved them on the spot. It is by the grace of Jesus who moves near to you and me sinners and who does the full work necessary, the, the perfection of the 613 laws Jesus did for us. He lived it for us in our place. And then he died and he suffered the penalty for sins in our place. And then he rose from the dead so that by faith in Him, by trusting Him, by truly believing that He is Lord and He will save us, our sins are forgiven. And we're given the eternal life that Jesus has today and for all of eternity in heaven. That's all His work. That's it. We, we simply receive the gift of grace and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, he addresses that and he says, we can't be teaching a false gospel. We, we can't be telling someone to believe in Jesus and repeat this prayer. Believe in Jesus and be a good person. Believe in Jesus and go to church. Believe in Jesus and read your Bible. Believe in Jesus and stop cussing. Believe in Jesus and stop fooling around. Believe in Jesus and change your sexuality. Believe in Jesus and stop. Like it's, it is simply believe in Jesus as you are and surrender your life fully to him. Everything to him. That is how we are a Christian. Open hands. I give you everything. I trust you. I'm following your way. Peter addresses that. He corrects that. And then James, um, we'll, we'll, we'll move quickly. James, he kind of summarizes everything. And he says this at the end of verse 19. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. He says over in, um, I'm sorry, over in verse 
28, he says, It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And so, so James simply says, we don't want to add unnecessary burden to the shoulders of people who are trying to come to God. We don't want to put obstacles in the way to make it more difficult for people to come to God than, than is necessary. We don't want to say anything more than what Jesus said. We don't want to add to the challenge anymore. We want to be thoughtful and mindful and prefer the outsider. And so, you know, these guys are trying to, you know, it, it, would it be wrong for someone to want to subscribe to the Jewish law after faith in Jesus? No, that's fine. It just doesn't save you and you don't have to do that. But we also don't want to put that burden on someone else if Jesus didn't put that burden on someone else. We don't want to add a weight to someone else's shoulders if Jesus doesn't add that weight to their shoulders. The weight that Jesus gives us is to die to ourselves and trust him. Not my way, but his. I'm trusting him. That's the weight that Jesus gives us. He doesn't add all these other weights to us in order to come to him. And so we as a church and as Christians don't want to add weights, add obstacles to people. So we may think like, well, we're not asking anybody to be circumcised or to become Jews. What do we do? I think the biggest thing we do to add obstacles is we hold extremely tightly to our preferences, even at the expense of keeping people out. If my preference is that you dress a certain way, man, I, I know many churches that they hold tightly to that preference of you've got to dress, you've got to look nice, you've got to put on your Sunday best. And you know what it does is it puts an obstacle in the way of people who don't own a Sunday best. Right? It puts an obstacle in the way. Uh, I think one of the things we expect is you've got to clean up your behavior. You, you can't talk like that in church. You can't, you can't have that habit that you're trying to break. And you know what it does is it puts obstacles in the way of people who, who just aren't further along in their journey than we are, who just aren't further along. And so it just adds obstacles in the way of people coming to Jesus. We hold tightly to our songs, right? I mean, the songs have to be like this. We've got to sing Hillsong with, with an acoustic, and we've got to, you've got to hit the crescendo at just the right moment. And if, we don't, if that doesn't happen, right, then it's no good. So we hold tightly to those. Well, what about people who don't, don't know those songs? Are we willing to learn new songs for them? We, we hold tightly to the way that things are set up and, and how things work in our traditions. But, but what if those are obstacles to other people? Are we willing to lay those down so that the road is smoother and easier for people to come to Jesus? Are we willing to let go of our preferences and our traditions so that more people can have an easier access path to come and sit at the feet of Jesus? That is where I think this hits home for us. We just want to... Gosh darn it, we just think we're right. And our way is best. And we have to be willing to let go of the things that we can let go of. We don't ever want to let go of the essentials. Jesus is Lord. He lived and died and rose from the dead. And then we have to submit our lives to Him. We don't ever want to let go of the essentials of the gospel, but we certainly want to be willing to let go of our preferences if it means that more people can come and find faith in Christ. And I, I want to challenge you with that. I, I want to challenge myself. I think that's a big one. Is are we willing to let go of preferences? Are we willing to let go of traditions? Are we willing to let go of anything that is unnecessary so that others can more easily come 
can be more easily welcomed to come and to hear and to see and to know and to explore and to question who Jesus is. Y'all, the, what changed everything here was that they unified under the lordship of Jesus. They said that Jesus is Lord and faith in him alone saves. That's what they came together under, that, that everyone equally comes to Jesus as a sinner and equally needs his grace for those sins to be forgiven. That's what they united under. That's what we unite under. Whether you have been a Christian for a long time or a short time, whether you are young or old, whether you are male or female, whether you are black or white or Latino or Asian or, or anything else, whether you are rich or poor, whether you have a good job or no job, whether you are sick or healthy, all of us can unite together as family under the common identity of faith in Jesus. That is what brought them back together in Acts 15, was faith in Jesus alone. And then they were willing to remove obstacles that got in the way so that more people around us, our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family, could more easily come and sit at the feet of Jesus. Y'all, may we be that church. May we be those people united together under the name of Jesus and willing to do whatever we can to bring people to the throne of grace. That's my hope. That's my prayer. We would reflect God well and build one another up and that we would give all that we can for the world to know Jesus. Love you guys. I'm praying for you. I'm excited to see you all again. Press on. Keep your focus and your eyes on him. He's good and I'll never change. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.